Welcome to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Gain, Grow, Retain. We have Amy Volas, who's the founder and CEO of Avenue Talent Partners and also the co-host of Thursday Night Sales with Scott Lease. And she is coming to us today from Michigan, which looks absolutely beautiful. So Amy, thanks for being here. Jeff, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk shop. So this is a treat. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, we always like to start with a curveball question that's a little bit probably more personal um, than you'd like to be. But what was your first concert that you ever attended? Oh, this is a fun story. So it was my freshman year of college and I called into a radio station and I won Pearl Jam tickets, front row seats, limo ride to this thing, like all that. So if it was my first concert experience, like it was the best one and it was Pearl Jam. So awesome question. Oh, yes. Gosh, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, my, just to give you mine is uh, Hootie and the Blowfish. I grew up in Hilton Head, South Carolina. And that literally they came through every year, like every summer they had the same stop. And so I joke that I've probably seen them more than any other band and not because I like, I mean, I do like them, but not because I was like overly excited about it. It's literally like my mom drugged me there for like 15 straight <laughs> years of my childhood. Uh, but I like that Pearl Jam is awesome. Well, and now Hootie is on his own doing the country thing, Darius. Yeah, um, I like him. Yeah. I remember on the way back in the limo ride back to the dorm. I had no voice. Like I had never screamed that much in my life. I was a huge Pearl Jam and still am a fan. So yeah. Fun I like question. That. I like that. Look at yeah, it. Something, yeah. You know, yeah. Something to get, something to get the, uh, you know, get it flowing a little bit early on. But uh, we were just talking before this, you know, the first time that we get to meet and I'm really excited about this, but um, you know, you kind of hear nowadays how retention is the new metric to, you know, it's the new thing on the block. Like, we're all talking about retention now. There's going to be this focus from all these board members. It's going to, everyone's just going to be talking so much about retention. Um, and so what, how do you envision that? How do you think about that that's playing out right now? Um, and maybe why do you think that is or isn't the right thing to be thinking? I think retention is always something to, to think about, right? It's a priority, but it makes me a little irritated, if I'm being honest, about why it's such a thing now. It should always be a thing. So um, I come from my sales background was me being full cycle and doing all the roles pre post during land and expand all of that. And customer success and account management was absolutely part of that. Um, and so when I think about why I've been so successful in my sales career, it's because I never lost sight of the fact that the customer holds the keys, right? If you don't have customers, you don't really have anything else. And it's very troubling and it has been for years that companies have this growth at all costs mentality and just focusing on new logos, new logos, new logos. So if you're going to invest that much into marketing, into sales, into your BDR team to try to get something and you get it and then you just let it die on the vine, that's deeply troubling to me. That's not what companies that stick around for the long haul that are really the unicorns do. They focus on every part of the buyer journey and they bend over backwards to try to meet the buyer where they are. So this whole concept of retention, 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 it's always been a priority in my opinion. Why wouldn't you take care of the customer? And it, it's crazy to me that people think about it from, well, we just want to show up a month before renewal. Like, do you know how much opportunity is lost? And it's not just keeping something, there's growth opportunity there. So um, yeah, clearly you struck a chord with me. I, I, I'm not a huge fan of, it's this new thing that we're all talking about, it's always been a thing. You don't have a business if you don't have a customer. How about that? Yeah. yeah, I think that's, it's absolutely true. And I think also people try and, you know, I work in customer success now, like we've been doing this for the last three or four years consulting. And um, while yes, we've maybe reinvented the name of customer success, 
again, the principles are still the same. They've been here forever. We just, you know, call it different things in different businesses. And so I think largely the same to you. Like I think, you know, people are also maybe trying to, I think sometimes overcomplicating or just trying to reinvent customer success into something that it's this, you know, this glorious new, uh, you know, foundation of something that we've never had before. And really it's like, you know, yeah, we called it something different and maybe it's focused on, you know, certain things like outcomes that uh, some other positions weren't focused on before, but at the same time, like there were at some point, there was somebody who was doing the same type of, of role and activity in the organization uh, beforehand. And so um, I, I'm with you. I think it's sometimes troubling how people like to make it more complicated or reinvent things that don't necessarily need to be reinvented uh, or talked about. We just end up getting in the way of ourselves, right? And, and here's the thing. Um, buyers care about three things, whether it's in the sales process, whether it's post-sale, whether it's a growth conversation. Can you help me do three things? One, can you help me solve a problem? Can you help me reach a goal? Or can you help me get better? And that should be the forefront of everybody's strategic plan. How are we helping our customers do that? If it's post-sale and we're talking about implementation before it even really gets to customer success, what does that look like? Once it's in customer success's hands, what does that look like? And so many companies that are thriving right now through COVID, their, their models have changed. And what I try to encourage people to think about is if all of a sudden you're going like gangbusters and renewals are top of mind and growth is top of mind and you're going upstream in markets you've never been in because there's a demand for it, that's fantastic. Don't overcomplicate it. It always ties back to what do they need? Why do they need it? What are some of the common themes? Think about your process and procedures from that perspective of starting there and backing it out and everyone's going to be good. But trying to rename it, trying to come up with a new acronym, trying to over-segment it, it's the same thing with sales. When we over-segment it and your buyer has a million different people to Sunday to deal with, it makes it confusing for them. They have to have the same conversation a bunch of different times. Nobody likes that. So I, I love that you just touched on the fact of making it harder on ourselves. I look at it as we're getting in the way of ourselves. Yep. Yeah. And I think, you know, kind of back to your point earlier as well, you know, uh, people like to think about how retention is, you know, we're so focused on it now, but then it's like, there's all these examples when you really look at it that are already in front of us, right? Amazon's probably the greatest example of retaining a customer at all costs, right? At how the customer always comes first. Um, you've got companies that are, you know, obviously in the B2C space like Apple or any others that you could probably name that think about retention on a regular basis. It's just that, you know, now we're, it's the, the flavor of the day just because, um, because of the situation and people are realizing it, but it's not, again, I don't think it needs to be overly uh, dramatized. The, um, the point you mentioned earlier, which I thought was really interesting is you mentioned how in your sales career, you've had to kind of play so many different roles uh, that, and that you never lost focus that at the end of the day, kind of the customer holds the bag, right? We're, we're really, I mean, if we have any boss in any type of business, it really ends up being the customer and not really our, our direct boss as we like to think. So how do you think you were able to keep that at the forefront uh, of your career? And also, do you think that playing so many different roles kind of helped you do that? Like, because you had to see so many different sides of what a customer went through, was that maybe a shaping light for you that, um, you know, kind of said, hey, like, I know I'm going to have to do all these different things with the customer. And that's really, you know, how you kind of shaped that experience. I, so it, it should be known, this is my second venture. This is the second business I've started. I would not have the success in sales or in my entrepreneurial sort of world as well without having done that. Um, because I have an appreciation for every bit and piece of the process. And I think it's a real big shame that we're chopping it up just for the sake of a growth and efficiency. The wrong metrics many times are being evaluated and the ones that matter the most are being discarded. And that is completely and totally troubling to me. So how did I do it? 
I never thought I would be in sales. I'm that classic case of, you know, you sort of fall into it and I was thrown to the wolves and I had to figure it out and I fell in love. But the one thing that I think is a common theme to who I am foundationally, like as a person, my word is my bond and my relationships are everything. I'm very much a relationship driven person. And something seemed really icky at the time of thinking that I was going to invest all of this time. And I come from enterprise sales where you're talking about 12 plus month, um, if not years long sales processes. And if I have invested all that time to establish trust and to have all this tribal knowledge, it seemed really weird to just give that up to somebody else that didn't have that and to try to reestablish that and to try to restart that. No matter how much you try to integrate and all those things, there's still something there. And I do believe that people buy from people, right? That they know, that they trust, that they like, all of those things. That has never been lost on me. And as I progressed through my sales career, it was one of the number one things I negotiated was if I'm coming on board, we need to make an agreement that whatever my accounts are my accounts and I don't give them up. That doesn't mean that I can't work with others. doesn't mean that I don't want to work with others and that I don't need help. But the face of the account and those relationships, and you want to hire me for those relationships, those relationships come over because of me. And it's not that I wasn't a team player. It's not that I didn't believe in what I was doing. All those things were really important. But the, I'm of the ilk that I have taken hits financially, internally, a lot of different ways because I fought for the customer, because it was, it was what was right, short-term sacrifice, long-term gain. And that has always been me. And it's how I run my business. It's how I run my, my recruiting practice, my process. Uh, my sales process, it's how I've always done it. And I've sold over $100 million of revenue and counting. I think it kind of works. <laughs> I think so. Numbers, numbers start speaking for themselves. And I yeah. love that because um, I, I actually had a, um, a post the other day that the gen, that was almost like the general gist, which is like sometimes we're too, too focused on the short-term gain instead of looking at the long-term relationship we can establish. And I think this, this is true. The way, reason I was writing it was more so from like a marketing perspective. Like I think there are things that we need to be doing now, like instead of gating, gating content, instead of putting things behind walls, like just give it away for free. Because I think like this is how we were running our consulting business for the last three years, which was um, our, our, one of our philosophies was information should be free, which is like, we're not going to put it behind a gate. Like if we create an, an amazing, um, you know, customers or if we create a, an amazing success plan template, like we're going to give it to all of our customers. We're going to give it to all of our community members, like anybody we can talk to, we're going to give it away for free because that's how you make something better. And then to your point, like we felt like that's how you start establishing and building trust is that you, you start to infuse people into like who your brand is, what you're trying to do and all those things matter. Um, and so there wasn't like a, we couldn't draw like a hard line of like, Hey, like that marketing tries to do sometimes, you know, where you're like, Hey, this dollar came from this effort. Well, what I can tell you is that our sales started to pick up our uh, sales cycle shortened and our deal size got bigger, uh, for our consulting business, at least because we were in, we were able to do that. And you could markedly see jumps where we know where we released content or we were doing big pushes that that was happening, especially our community. Like that was one of the, you know, for us, we never, we've never one time like put our, um, like sold back into our own community. And that's, you know, we don't want, that's not what the purpose never was. It was really to truly build a community and we were just being associated with it for us is great. Like we just want to help here. We want to help as many people as possible um, and be associated with that. Like that's just what we were about. And I think um, that whatever you just mentioned just resonated with me so much because it's like, there's going to be so many long-term gains and areas for you to, to gain uh, opportunity from this if you play it in the right way. So I like the way you thought about that in your career. It's true. I mean, it's an ecosystem, right? So marketing is part of the ecosystem. 
customer success is part of the ecosystem. Sales is part of the ecosystem. And we all have important parts that tie directly back to the customer. And I really don't like it when we, when we silo it off and, yeah. and I'm only responsible for this. And I have to think about from a marketing perspective, uh, we're going to gate content. We're going to ask people for their email addresses and then spam the mess out of them. Like at the end of the day, people are people, right? And you're talking about one-to-one -one relationships. Even in the most complex of sales, you're dealing with people. And when I'm talking to someone, that's one-to-one. -one. And so I've never really liked making it difficult for somebody to try to do business with me. <laughs> like I just, yeah. I just, I just yeah. Well, and, and I have this unique lens of I'm a seller. I'm a buyer. I'm a recruiter. I am um, a marketer. I am an entrepreneur. I am a sales leader. I am a recruiting leader. Like I'm a lot of things in my business. And it's so funny today. I just received an email from someone trying to sell me something and said, your peers do. And then had, and I said, with all due respect, I could give a rip about what my peers are doing. I'm swimming yes. in my own lane. I'm trying to change something. And if you ever paid attention to me, you would know I could care less about my peers. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's like, I think drift is the best example of their old tagline. I don't know what they're, I don't know if it's still their tagline. I'm just going to say their old tagline could still very well be meet your buyer where they are. And there's something yep. really simple yet so difficult for many to do that. Make it easy. Gating content. Like it's like, you know, when you try to buy something and you have to go through like a million things and then all of a sudden you abandon the cart and now you get these emails of like 59% off. Well, if it's 59% off, why wasn't it 59% off then? I hate games. Don't play games with me. Yeah. I'll just say, wait, my wife uh, finds it absolutely nuts because I've done that. Like I just do it almost instinctively now because... <laughs> I la I'm like, I want to screw the company because it's like, if, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to go add this to my cart and at least wait like three days before I buy it to see if you send me, send me that email. My wife, it drives my wife nuts. It's really funny. Um, but it, you know, you're going to get the email where it's like, but wait, there's more. Yeah. It's like, Hey, it's, you can have this. Or, or it's the same thing. I, over the weekend, I found my way into an old Navy. I'm not going to lie. Here I'm at old Navy. And all of a sudden they're like, if you signed up for text messages, you'll get a special surprise. I'm like, well, what's the special surprise? I sign up. It's like, well, the special surprise doesn't come for like three or four days. I'm like, what this is. So um, I immediately say stop. So I stop all the text messages and then I buy a couple of things. And all of a sudden I'm looking at my email because I get emails from them and it's like online 40% off, but in the store it's full price. I'm like, what, what is this? Like it made me angry that I literally got up to the, to the counter. And I said, if you can't give me the same deal that your same company offers online, I'm going to go. And yeah. they're like, why? <laughs> like this, this to me, uh, what I always like to think about too, is that sometimes people don't put themselves in the customer's shoes and actually go through the, the experience. So like, I, there's like so many situations just like that one where I feel like if there was an executive at, at uh, Old Navy who like actually was, was you in the store and was like, wait a minute, like why would we put our customers through this? Like they actually just thought about that for an extra half a second. Like there's just so many, uh, there's so many different scenarios that I've come across where it's like, you would never want that as a buyer. And we are all buyers in our lives. Like we buy B2B tools, B2C tools. We buy, we go to restaurants, right? There's so many different buying experiences we have on a regular basis that we inherently, like, I don't understand how in this day and age, like we don't put ourselves in the customer's shoes, no matter how much we talk about it and no matter how much we, we try and, and think about that person on the other side of the, on the other side of the deal. And it doesn't have to be monumental. It's not like software that I'm buying for my business, right? I'm talking about a few tank tops and some sweat socks, like that's it. But it's still made me mad, right? Yeah. And is that, and here we are a few days later, still talking about Old Navy and not in a great way. And that's what people don't realize is I'm immediately thinking about an example as we're talking about this of something that 
encapsulates the point and not the best way. If I'm the executive at Old Navy and I'm in a pandemic and retail has been hit, do I really want to, you know, like, what is the narrative? If I walk away, what do I want people to say about me? And I think um, we are doing such a horrible job of, it's all about our process, our cadence, where we want our customer to be when we want them to be. And I used to have this fight all the time in my enterprise sales career of like, do you understand that my buyer buys one time a year if we're lucky, right? One time a year. I don't care about your quarterly goals. I care about what happens in the annual and building up the right pipeline to do the right work, to have the right things happen through that course of time. Yeah. Thinking about an enterprise sales motion or customer success or whatever it might be every single month when it's enterprise deals that are six and seven figures, what are you doing? Like, Why are you trying? It's like, I speak French and you speak Arabic and you expect me to speak Arabic. That's going to be a no. And I will not understand you, nor will I like it, nor will we continue to have the conversation because we yeah. can't communicate. It's the same thing. So yeah. there's, there's uh, no, that reminds me of too, though, is back to your point. And uh, there's like two things that come to mind for me, which is reversing the way that we think about the customer journey. Like you said, instead of silos that, that like sales passes it to here and then here to here, right? It's like, one thing that we're trying to do internally at our company right now is like throw that all out the window. Like the customer doesn't care which department it is or what's happening inside. So let's go first, talk about what the customer should be experiencing throughout this entire journey. And then let's figure out where our processes fit within that. And again, I think to your point, it's like a small nuance, but it becomes a monumental thing when you start thinking about how the customer only wants to buy once and they don't care about our, you know, they don't care about our process in Salesforce or, you know, what needs to happen in order for the procurement to happen. Like all they care about is like getting the right contract on their desk to sign. And so like whatever we need to go do to make that happen, we can do behind the scenes, but there has to be like this layer of what the customer is experiencing. And so flipping the journey. So that's the customer back at the center of the business. And and to your point, like you, you break down these silos so quickly and it just becomes all about how do we make the customer achieve what they're trying to. And that's the question we should just be answering all the time. I agree. The, uh, the other thing that um, I have liked that you've talked about, I'm curious how you think about this is the, we talk about relationships a lot in customer success and you, you mentioned, obviously that is like the kind of the ethos of your career, right? Is like, I'm, if I'm building a relationship, I'm going to, I'm going to hold on to this. Um, if you're talking to individual contributors out there, um, like what are some of the like, two to three things that tactically that you used to do or that you still do uh, to help build relationships and force them? Like what are some of the things that come to mind for you that again, like thinking about relationships being at the core of what we do, um, how, do you, how would you help somebody go think about how to just build the right relationships with the right people in those organizations? And it's nothing earth shattering, right? Like it's yep. all about the basics. So as my dear friend and very wise enterprise sales leader, awesome powerhouse, Sam McKenna would say, show me, you know me. And what that means to me and what I did was I put in the work to help you illustrate that I'm taking this seriously, that I understand the ecosystem, that I understand some of the things that you might be going through and that I can connect the dots for you. So when you prepare, like there's that whole thing, if you don't prepare, uh, what is it? If you plan to fail, you fail to, or like if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Um, That is, and I'm, you just busted me. I butcher every single, (laughs) I got it right though. It took me a second, but you know, there's that and that's not lost on me, nor has it ever been. And so if I, and, and I grew up in the world of, being super young and being empowered and responsible for really big accounts and C-level people inside of huge fortune 50 global brands. You can't do that just to show up and be like, Hey, what's up? You want to go out for a drink? Like, no, that's not, that's not what that is. So step one is do your homework. Step two, listen, 
And I'm not talking about listen to respond, listen to uncover the objection and then hammer it. Listen to understand. That's such a big thing. And then three, if you say you're going to do something, do it. There's that whole thing of, you know, over-promising and, and under-delivering, and that's a real big problem. Yep. I believe in consistency. I believe in your word is your bond. And if you say you're going to do something, do it. And if for some reason it's out of your control and it's not happening, don't hide under a rock. Own it. Customers don't expect us to be perfect. They realize that we're people, but they do expect us to set their expectations. They do expect us to take charge, and they do expect us to be accountable. And so that's kind of like a fourth little thing. Be accountable. Own yep. your stuff proactively communicate. If all holy hell is breaking loose on an implementation or you've upsold something and it's super clunky because it was the first thing that was sold and your product team can't deliver, own it. Come up with some solutions. Let them know that they're being heard, that you understand that it's a little bit painful. And as a result of being painful, here's what you're doing to make their life easier. They won't forget it. Yeah. I love, I mean, like you said, back to the basics. And I love that. Uh, one, one thing we always like to talk about too, especially with customer success managers is like, if we come ask you, like there's one question that we feel like you should fundamentally be able to answer. How does this money, how does this company that you're working with make money? If you can't answer that, then you clearly have been listening. You haven't done research. You haven't learned anything at all because, and I think this gets back to your point where sometimes we just do things to check the box. Oh, I'm going to have a QBR because we're supposed to have one. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make this presentation about your metrics because we, we need to do it. But you know, there, there's no, every customer is going to start to see through that at the end of the day, unless we're actually bringing value behind what we're presenting, what we're providing and answering that question of like, how do you make money? And then basically, how does our solution fit into that equation? Like those two things should always be at the, at the forefront of how we're talking and what we're talking to customers about. Um, and I love that. It's like the same thing in sales. How many times do you get a LinkedIn connection? And then all of a sudden it goes straight to the pitch and it's like, what? This new phenomenon is happening. And I'm like, ew. And literally I immediately disconnect where it's this canned message. I feel like it's like a presidential speech of it has nothing to do with me and it's your intro video. Like, <laughs> yeah. why do I care? I don't. Unless, yeah. unless you are fundamentally doing something in that intro that absolutely is going to change my life or the world for better. Great. You've got my interest. But if it's like, hi, let me tell you a little bit about me now that we're connected. And it's super scripted and it's super gross and it's really creepy. Like, no, thank you.com. That's a no for yeah. me. Yeah, that's a no for me, dog, uh, from our American <laughs> Idol days. Um, no, that, that is uh, so true. Because I think this, this also, this is something that just you are like getting me going. But like, I hate the idea of um, how people are trying to do, like, how to, um, they're trying to scale all this marketing activity. They're trying to scale everything, right? And so I'm like on this ilk or on this thread right now where I'm like, why, are we just, why don't we just do things that don't scale and like become more personal? Because again, I'm like 99% sure every person in America right now knows when there's a canned email that's coming versus when there's a personal email coming. And so like, we're not fooling anybody. And so how do we actually, again, generally show people that we know them and like make things personal instead of just trying to personalize them. And so I think there's just a difference and a nuance there that we, again, I understand that business, all businesses can't operate, right? We need to make margin. We need to do things. But I also think that we, we sometimes swing so far in the other direction of like trying to minimize resources at all costs. And to your point, I think at the end of the day, we just continue to lose sight of the question, which is like, how am I just going to make my customer be successful as possible with our solution, with our team, with our company, so that they have a positive experience. And at the end of the day, if we can do that, then we're going to continue to win clients and customers over and over. And if for some reason I can't, I'm going to set their expectations appropriately, yep. realistically, honestly, with integrity. Like these are all things. And I think um, it starts at the top. And when it comes to like growth at all costs, this goes back to the world that I'm in. 
for the work that I want to do, please, for the love of God and all that's good in the world. When you're interviewing, it's not just them selecting you, it's you selecting them. And you better make sure if any of this has resonated of what you're talking about or what we are talking about together here, if anything is striking chords with people, good. You're, you're my people. Find me on LinkedIn. But, you know, on the flip side, it is your responsibility. It is your career to peel back as many layers as you can peel back to understand what you're getting into. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many people I talk to because we place customer success leaders as well that have the good old bait and switch. And when I say, why are you so surprised? They're like, I kind of had a sneaking suspicion, but I didn't ask. Yeah. Because the, um, we have a, a friend of ours, uh, Nils Vinya, who's a, uh, been a consultant for a long time. And he uh, has, a, has a saying that I really like, which is like, you're the CEO of your own company. Like yeah. you are the CEO and boss of yourself. Um, and so I like that because it resonates too. And it goes back to your first point too, which is show me, you know me, which is like, just, just as much as you're doing research to find, you know, on that company to land that position, like they're doing the same research back on you. And so like, you need to be, again, like making sure that you're, you're being held accountable yourself for asking the right questions. Um, what are other right now, as you see them, like what are other snafus that you're seeing that people, simple things maybe that people are overlooking uh, as they go to, you know, look, look at job opportunities being placed areas. Like what are some of the, the easy ones that you feel like people are missing right now and just um, kind of missing the mark? Oh my gosh, so many. Like, where do I start? We're going to have a little podcast just on that. Um, I will say though, and it should, you made me chuckle because I'm thinking about, so Taryn Lanigan is my head of recruiting and we work, we do this together and we have this manifesto that if we have to care more about your business and scaling your business the right way than you do, we have problems. And if we care more about your career than you do, we have problems. Yeah. So that's the backdrop. But the things that people are doing, I think first and foremost, people get caught up in the shiny objects right? And so sometimes the stories that we start to tell ourselves aren't necessarily rooted in the reality of the situation. And so um, people will go for the shiny objects of like, you could, for our top performer, they get 60% bonus. And it's like, I only get 15 where I am. And it's like, okay, but let's talk about the reality of that. And how many people actually have done that? And when was the last time somebody did that? And what does that look like? And what is quantified or qualified into that of being able to reach that? I think accepting something just for face value, I don't love that. So like there's the surface and then there's all the stuff below it. I don't surface dwell. Ain't nobody got time for that in my world. I want to dig and I want to understand. And there's a way that you can do it that isn't off-putting, that isn't pushy. I think it's also an opportunity to have a defining moment of, hey, this has been a really lovely interview process. Thank you so much. And I'm glad that you're excited about me. And thank you for this generous offer. However, I have 10 questions that I need to address that through the interview process, I, had, I didn't have a chance to do that. This is my career. This is my life. This is a really big deal. I see a lot of common ground here. There's a lot of exciting opportunity. But before I can feel good about making a decision, can we talk about these things? Who can I talk to about this? These are the two common themes. And one has to do with marketing and one has to do with I don't know, the CEO, whatever it might be, might I be able to speak with them? And if somebody's like, no, or they think like, hello, defining moment. Yeah. So I, um, so it's that it's like, don't get caught up in just because somebody tells me something. It's like somebody tell me I have green hair. No, I don't. I have brown hair and I don't care if you say it's green all day long. I got to figure out why you think it's, it's green. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. It's not. And can we make it brown together? I don't know. Maybe we can, maybe we can't, which is a really bad analogy, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. The whole 
the whole thing here, I think it's the number one thing. And, and that's why I'm spending a little bit more time on it. There could be a million other things that I could yeah, tell you. That's a good one. It's just getting caught up. Yeah. Well, and th- with this, so I get a ton of people. Um, I've been fortunate enough to build a nice network of people. We have this community that's growing. So I get asked a ton of times about, you know, hey, I'm looking at this job opportunity. Hey, can you help me X, Y, and Z? Uh, and the number one thing I ask people if they've already done before too, I said, um, what, what videos of the company have you watched? Like, have you watched any CEO videos? Have you watched their webinars? Have you watched anything uh, about theirs? And the second question is, is I ask is if they're a public company, have you read their public filings for their, um, you know, quarterly earnings, whatever it might be. Um, and if they're not public, have you understood like the type of, of uh, valuation that they have right now? And have you seen, have they taken on debt? Have they taken on equity? Like to me, those are just two questions that I feel like people fundamentally don't think about and they think it's really hard, too hard for them to get the answers when in actuality, you just have to do a little bit of research. Um, but I just think again, to your point, like to me, those are really easy things. Go watch some YouTube videos and go do some research on Crunchbase or anywhere else that you can find uh, valuation or filing information because I think those are two questions that I would want to know uh, if I'm in those roles. And like inherently, those are, again, just research. There's so much thing, There's so many things out there on the internet now that you can go look up. Well, we're living out loud, as I like to say, like, the digital age has made it real easy. I mean, back when I started with the newspaper and publications, it was a lot harder to do that. And you have to kind of lean in to take people at their word and all the bad behavior, people could hide behind those walls. Those walls are crumbling. And so again, it goes back to that backseat approach. Like here's the deal, G2, Captera, Google, reviews, like there's so much information. Yes, you have to take things with a grain of salt, but the biggest thing that I would look at if I'm a CS leader or I'm somebody in CS, everything that I do comes from the customer, right? Um, How about you take a little walk over to G2 and Captera? What are your customers saying about you? If it is a complete and total nightmare of a circus, unless you love fixing things and that's going to be your job for the rest of your life, And I'm not talking about fixing like problems that you fix and then you move on. I'm talking about the same problem and the definition of insanity. Unless that's like your jam, you might want to really consider that because that's the thing is people, it goes back to that backseat approach. It's like, oh, well, they're just telling me that they're venture backed. Well, not all VC is created equal. And a lot of this growth at all costs comes from, I know plenty of VCs that are good, that are doing wonderful work, that are investing for the right reasons and have the appropriate expectations I also know that there are a lot of others out there that here's our metric, um, here's our matrix, here's the multipliers that we need to see and the ROI that we need to achieve, and you need to do it in 18 months, and I don't care what has to happen. Yep. I mean, lots of people are getting money that don't even have product market fit. And if you're jumping into that, that's a risk. And sometimes it's worth it, and sometimes it's not. The other thing that I'll say is, and I talk a lot about this, is the power of a scorecard when you are evaluating opportunities to make sure that you don't get caught up in the wrong stories. Because, you know, it's kind of like, and I talk about this and I've been on many podcasts where I've used this analogy, but it's so good it has to come up. Dating, right? So like the first time I went on a date with my husband, guess what? I looked good. I had my makeup done. My hair was blown out. Uh, my nails were like just newly painted. My outfit was new. My shoes were on point. I had a special, you know, like all the things were happening. And then flash forward to three months later, there might've been a stain on my shirt. I don't know. But you know what I'm saying? It's like, yep. it never gets better than that point. And if people are already <laughs> displaying icky behavior, 
why do you think it's going to get any better? And so I think sometimes you get caught up like you do in dating where it's like this person's super attractive and this person is super interesting and this person is um, got major chemistry with me. Awesome. And then you find out 10 days later, this person hasn't paid their bills in about three years and they're living in the parents' <laughs> basement and they've got $300,000 in debt. Not so attractive anymore. And you, you, not that you're going to ask that on the first date, but there's things to look at that people tend to push down because they're caught up in that chemistry. And so that's where the power of a scorecard really helps anchor you to all the bits and pieces. We're all different. The things that I care about versus what you care about and what we need and why we need it and what that looks like to be good for each one of us going to be unique. That's why the scorecard is good to anchor yourself in no matter what, these are the things I have to have. And each thing carries weight in every opportunity. I'm going to put through that scorecard so that I can take out some of the emotion. I can make good decisions. Yeah. I always love a good processor framework. Um, and I think that's, you know, tends to be a great answer in a lot of situations where you can, again, be objective and you can look at things in the same criteria. So I think it's a great one. I'm also going to go, I'm going to go ask my wife if, uh, you know, if she was thinking about the, those same things, you know, did she do her hair? Did she do, she do all these things to try and fool me on the first date. Um, so I'll, I'll have to report back to you on, on what I hear from her. Well, and besides our wedding day, right? Like we're always going to look the best that we will ever look on that day. But I mean, seriously, <laughs> like the first date or the first several dates, you show up a little bit different than you do six months down the road and you're having pizza on the couch together. Come on now. <laughs> my, my, uh, my wedding anniversary is actually tomorrow. Uh, just as a fun fact. Uh, just two. We've been together 10. Uh, yep. Or no, we've been together nine, eight, eight, sorry. Bad math right now. Uh, we've been yeah, together eight she's years. Not listening to this. She will, she's, she hasn't listened to one episode. She's clear. She's let me know that multiple times. Uh, <laughs> so it's eight years. And then we've been, we've been married now for two years. Um, Congrats. so thank you. Yeah, we're excited. We're, I took off a little early, so we're going to, you know, make a nice dinner, that whole thing. We're not here to talk about me. So, uh, Amy, thanks. This was a lot of fun. I am so glad I got to meet you. There's a ton more things I'd love to talk to you about. I feel like if we met in person, you know, we would be the people sitting at the bar talking for hours. So, uh, I feel like, you know, you were, you were great. Come on. Uh, a couple of things we just mentioned real quick, you know, relationships. Um, I think, you know, that was just a core piece that I loved taking away from you about, you know, the four things think about, show me, you know, me, listen, listen to understand. Uh, if you say you're going to do it, do it and then hold yourself and your company accountable. Uh, I think are going to be some things that I'm going to take away from this conversation. And I think, you know, as we transition into uh, the idea about recruiting and how, you know, people in the, the customer success industry, uh, again, don't get, don't get caught up in shiny objects and then to try and make a, a framework, um, try and make it something that you can compare uh, apples to apples. So um, I really appreciate this. This was fun. If people want to get in touch with you, if they want to find you more, um, what's the best way to do that, Amy? Yeah. So first and foremost, thank you. I love the conversation. And after pandemics and such, we will have to have those drinks at the bar to talk shop. So thank you. Um, also, you know, you can always have me back again. So there's that shameless plug. Yeah, well. uh, if Anybody is listening to this and has enjoyed it, I tend to live out loud myself. LinkedIn, Amy Volus, I think I'm the only one that's there with that name. Uh, AvenueTalentPartners.com, those are two gateways to get to me really easily. Awesome, perfect. And I will, I'm gonna give you a plug too. Um, you know, if you are in customer success, uh, not that we're the core audience, but the Thursday night sales um, have been awesome. I've seen so many good people talk about those. Um, and I think it's a great, uh, it's a great gateway to get, even go just get a glimpse of what salespeople are talking about, learning about right now, what they're you know, worried about, um, how they're thinking about the industry. So, um, I love that you guys are doing those and just want to make sure you're to plug that as well. So people can go, um, for that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, Amy, awesome. Every Thursday night. Um, thank you so much. Enjoy your time at, uh, at the lake and hopefully we'll get back to, uh, normal lives here soon. Thank you. I appreciate it. This was lovely. Thank you for the invitation to talk shop. 
Hey guys, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.